Moses. But 536. Stanzas 3, 4, and 5. Six, three, four, and five. Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Lord Jesus, apart from you and your word, we have no life or salvation. Strengthen our faith in your precious promises that we might call upon you every morning for all that we need to support us in this body and life. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. All right, to this uh, last week in the congregation at prayer daily readings, the book of Acts and the book of Romans concluded. And so you could lament if you didn't keep up that you didn't keep up, or you can say, well, this week 
We're starting into the Gospel of Matthew and then brief readings that walk through the prophet Jeremiah, who is sometimes called the weeping prophet because of his laments over uh, the southern kingdoms of Judah's, um, you know, unbelief and impenitence. Randy. What did I say? Matthew. Mark. Just checking to see if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, so Mark. Um, and uh, we're in the continuous reading uh, section. So we just, we won't be in Mark for a long time or Jeremiah for a long time because we uh, start once the school year starts, we flip over to beginning the Ten Commandments and walking through the Catechism sequentially. And so this year, I'll talk about that when the time comes. But for a couple of weeks here, we've got readings from Mark and Jeremiah. All right, the uh, Psalm 119 also continues. Remember, if you have forgotten, the names of those sections of Psalm 119 uh, correspond to the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, so these funny names like Kopf or Resh, the first, those are Hebrew letters. The first in the Hebrew letter of each line begins with, in the Kopf text section, the letter Kopf. In the Resh section, the letter Resh. It is uh, a meditation on the Word of God using the Hebrew alphabet uh, to do that. All right, so our Bible verse for today, 2 Samuel chapter 2, 22, 26, uh, 22, 26, and 27, is from the Old Testament reading for this ninth Sunday after Trinity. Uh, let us speak it together. With the merciful, you will show yourself merciful. With a blameless man, you will show yourself blameless. With the pure, you will show yourself pure. With, with the devious, you will show yourself shrewd or devious. Okay, now, take the second half of the couplet first. Who is merciful? God is. And those who believe in him and trust in him are merciful because of it. Okay? Uh, and so it, the, you have this wonderful circular thing that goes on. God is merciful to us in Christ that receiving his mercy, we might be merciful to others. Okay? Uh, who is blameless? God is blameless. And because he is blameless and we receive that righteousness in Christ, we stand blameless before him. And again, this circular relationship, the blamelessness, the righteousness of Christ that is imputed to us uh, allows us to stand in a state of sinlessness, righteousness in this world before others. Who is pure? God is pure. And because of his purity, 
that we receive, we are pure. Again, this circular thing. The purity that we ourselves have received in the gospel then overflows into our lives. Now, who is shrewd? God is shrewd. In fact, so you can say he's shrewd, he's clever, he's devious. Everything that we know about human personality um, or observe, I should rather say, about human personality, God is. But he always is those things in the right way. So things like anger and wrath that God has. He is angry and he is wrathful rightly. Even such concepts as jealousy. He is jealous, but rightly so. We, so everything, in, and then humorous. Uh, God is the funniest guy there is. Nobody has a better sense of humor than the Lord. We have humor because God is humorous. All of these things come from him. But he's always in the right way. Okay? In the way of God's holiness. When we have characteristics um, like deviousness, it is often in the wrong way or twisted. However, have you heard the passage of Jesus where he says you must be wise as serpents and harmless as doves? Have you heard that? Okay, wise as serpents. To be a serpent, do you usually um, think of a serpent as a good thing to be called? You know, like, ah, Bob, you're, you're a snake. <laughs> if somebody said that, that would not be a complimentary thing, would it? No. Okay. Uh, however, if you know the ways of snakes or serpents, the sneaky, scheming, devious, shrewd ways, it's beneficial. Okay? So to be as wise as a serpent is to understand the ways of the world. And, uh, of course, the more you know and learn about the corruption of original sin, the easier it is to be as wise as a serpent. That is to say, to understand the ways of sin. It's one of the things that pastors hearing confessions are benefited from. Not so they can divulge in anecdotal stories uh, things that titillate the hearers in sermons. You know, any pastor that divulges in a sermon what was confessed in the confessional needs to be booted out of office. Uh, we have plenty of illustrations in the Bible that God has given us. We don't need to you know, tell you all the stories about Becca LeGros and the things she struggled with or something like that. Those are the things that, that cause pastors to be thought highly of on, sometimes by others because they can, they can tell these stories. 
But the bad thing is that when they tell these stories, then it causes those who really have great burdens to say, I'm not going to go to him and entrust my burdens to him because I might have it broadcast publicly in the sermons. I know those, those stories are very popular to hear in the church, but they have no place, actually, uh, unless they have some sort of public attestation. Now, that's not really a digression, because it's all anchored into this concept of shrewdness and, and deviousness. When the pastor hears confessions, he learns the depth of original sin and how it affects us and what people are capable of. When he goes to confession himself, it is a time in which he confesses those same kinds of weaknesses and struggles from within. So when Jesus says, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves, unless we know the ways the sinful flesh works, we have no capacity as pastors or then as Christians to be able to apply the gospel uh, where, where it is needed most. You remember, we just had a few weeks back, Nathan's ministry to David. And in David's fall with the adultery you know, it began with the lust of his heart and so forth, you saw the deviousness of the sinful heart. So to be wise as serpents is not, doesn't mean you do the same thing that David did in his whole conspiracy to try to cover up his crime. But when you understand the ways of the flesh, it is to drive you to all of those other threes, the, the mercy and the blamelessness and the purity of God which alone is our salvation in Christ. Okay, so coming back to this particular uh, couplet, with the devious, you will show yourself shrewd or devious. You can't outsmart God. Can't do it. Because he is more shrewd than you. He's more devious than you. Not in a bad way, but in knowing and understanding the intricacies of the human heart and the corruption of sin. So you can't, you've heard about you know, pulling the wool over someone's eyes. You know, I've, I've, I've sometimes used the expression, I didn't just fall off the pumpkin tree. Have you ever heard an expression like that? Or the turnip wagon? So what, what does it mean, Bob? You weren't born not yesterday. Naive. You're not naive, exactly. All right. So, nor is God. So you can't outsmart God. When you try to, so I often say, you lose. All right. And all of this is to drive us in the humility of contrition and faith back to him. All right. Let's speak it again. With the merciful, you will show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you will show yourself blameless. With the pure, you will show yourself pure. And with the devious, you will show yourself shrewd. All right. Very good. Let us go to 2 Kings chapter 2. As we move on to the story of Elisha. Wally. That's right. Everybody know that you're 
Yeah, Jesus says the same thing, you know, for example, uh, to those who persecute the church, like Saul of Tarsus. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? To persecute his church was to persecute him. All right, we move on to the, to the prophet Elisha. Uh, you should have heard, I didn't double check with Pastor Gelbach, but you should have heard about the prophet Elijah, who is called the troubler of Israel. Uh, because he did the ghastly thing of preaching the word of God to them uh, that God gave him to preach, even though it didn't want, they didn't want to hear it because it exposed their sin. Elijah's ministry, a, a vibrant and important ministry during a difficult time in the apostasy of the northern kingdom of Israel, gives way to Elisha's ministry. In the two prophets, Elijah and Elisha, you have a wonderful example of what we sometimes call, type, call typology in biblical interpretation. And typology is where people or things or events are pictures of Christ. So on the one hand, in the scriptures, Elijah corresponds to the last of the Old Testament prophets called the forerunner of Jesus, of the Christ. Who's that? John the Baptist. So Elijah's preaching is a lot like John the Baptist's preaching. Um, the fire and the brimstone, you know, the call to repentance, although that was characteristic of all the prophets. Elijah's name means what, Elijah? The Lord is God. He uses the right term Lord or Yahweh. He is God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is God. So on the one hand, John, uh, Elijah is a type of John the Baptist. But then he ascends into heaven in the fiery chariot, a picture of the ascension. So he becomes a type particularly in that event of Christ and of the ascension of Jesus. Just like in the Genesis, Enoch, who walked with God and he was taken up, he didn't die, was a picture of Christ and a sign of eternal life in the midst of all of this death. All right? Uh, in Elijah's ascension, who is with him just prior to that but Elisha, who was his catechumen and student. And the mantle falls from Elijah to Elisha in a similar way that Jesus, in his ascension, extended his mantle over the apostles to continue the ministry of Jesus. Do you follow? So when in the Gospel of John, for example, Jesus says to the twelve, Greater works than these will you do, because I go to the Father. It, it doesn't mean greater in uh, kind, but rather greater or more prolific in quantity. As we've highlighted at other times in the past, on this Sunday, all over the globe, Christians are having their sins forgiven 
and receiving the body and blood of Christ. Okay? That's greater works. During Jesus' ministry, it was located only where Jesus was at that moment. But now, in his ascension, through the office of the ministry, his mantle has fallen on the office of the ministry and greater works, the preaching and the administration of the sacraments, can happen simultaneously all over the globe. Isn't that fantastic? Okay, so anyway, you have these types going on. Elijah gives way to Elisha's ministry as Jesus extends that ministry to uh, the 12. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. Now, here I asked you to turn to it, and I didn't do it myself. 2 Kings chapter 2. It came to pass when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Gilgal was one of the early encampments of Israel as they crossed the Jordan into the Promised Land. Notice the various geographic locations in this text all significant in the history of salvation in the Old Testament. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. What does Bethel mean? Do you remember? House of God. Why? Because God's word was revealed there to Jacob. And Elisha said, As the Lord lives... And as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now, let's fast forward to the ascension of our Lord. When Jesus gives the command to baptize, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, <clears throat> teaching them to observe, to cling tenaciously to all that I have commanded you, then what does he say next? Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Here you have Elisha saying, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. And this is the way it is that Christ is joined to his church. His church is joined to Christ. Christ is joined to his ministers. His ministers are joined to Christ. So the I will never leave you or forsake you there is this yoking together in time and into eternity. All right, the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel, these are all the young seminarians, came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. They keep uh, rubbing this point into him. On the one hand, Elisha does not want to be parted from his master and teacher. On the other hand, it is necessary because the work goes on. Um, I was thinking about this yesterday, and on the way home, commenting to Beth, where did she go? She, she was taken up in a whirlwind. Uh, how many of you remember Pastor Mikau? See, a, a 
a few of you. How many of you remember Pastor Gaynor? Yeah. 30 years from now, some pastor might ask, how many of you remember Pastor Bender? And there'll be about the same number of hands <laughs> that were raised for Pastor Mikau and Gaynor as were raised, you know, now that will be raised when my name is mentioned. And that's the way it is. The mantle is passed on from one minister to another. But certain things remain constant. And that is Christ and his gospel. Okay, the word of truth. Remember what John the Baptist said at the conclusion of his ministry in which he was preparing the way for Jesus coming. He said, I must decrease and he must increase. Okay. Then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. What great event happened at Jericho? The, the crossing of the, uh, uh, into the promised land, the first city that was conquered uh, in the conquest of the promised land. And he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? So he answered, yes, I know. Keep silent. There's the second time of not only what the prophets say, but these, uh, the the promise of Elisha that as the Lord lives he would not leave Elijah. It's the promise of fidelity. Then Elijah said to him stay here please for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan, the Jordan River. And he said as the Lord lives and as your soul lives I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Here now the Jordan, that was the river that they crossed and the ark went into it that Separated, and they walked through on dry ground into the promised land. Now, this threefold pledge of fidelity by Elisha to his teacher Elijah at Bethel, at Jericho, and then at the Jordan. There's a lot of these threefolds, isn't there? For example, in John chapter 21, Jesus asks, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love thee. And he does it three times. And after every one of those, you know, Jesus then says, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, feed my lambs. Okay? So this threefold pattern runs throughout the scriptures. You think of the Holy Trinity into whose name we are baptized. You think of the resurrection the third day, and at the heart of the resurrection is the proclamation of what is the gospel of God's forgiveness that Elijah preached, that Elisha preached, that Jesus preached, that the 12 preached, that the ministry preaches today. Okay, so the two of them went on, and 50 men 
of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance. Now, isn't it curious? There are 50. The day of Pentecost, Pentecost in the Old Testament, was about 50 days after the great Passover and Exodus from Egypt, at which time they appeared at Mount Sinai to receive the Torah, the life-giving word. So Pentecost in the New Testament, again, about 50 days after the great Passover, this time the Passover of Christ, who is sacrificed for us, culminates in the outpouring of the Spirit for the preaching of the word of life, the new Torah, if you will, uh, the, the gospel in all of its fullness. So it's wonderful, the event of salvation, the blood of the Passover is what redeemed them from slavery that they might receive the word at Sinai. The blood of the true Passover lamb, Christ, redeems us from slavery to sin that in the word of the gospel, Pentecost, we might be comforted and built up in that word. So these parallels, you got now 50 sons of the prophets are there standing at a distance while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Now Elijah took his mantle. So the mantle is um, like the chasuble, only someone who is ordained can wear the chasuble, or the stole that is around the neck this way that hangs uh, around the neck and perpendicular to the ground as opposed to a, a deacon's stole that is diagonal. That indicates that the deacon is under the pastor. But the stole or the chasuble are all like the mantle, symbols of office, the office of the holy ministry, the apostolic office of the word. And we call that the apostolic office, not because pastors are apostles, but because the authority of their preaching is from the apostolic word. So that's an important thing to, to uh, add here. Okay, so Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, and struck the water. Here again, it's the idea that, you know, I have no, like in Roman theology, indelible character. That means you have a special holiness. holiness. And that special holiness allows me to engage in hocus-pocus. Okay? No, uh, no hocus-pocus. I have no authority but the authority of the word. And it's the word that has established the office of the ministry. And it is the word which is the authority of the incumbents of that office. So I have no power to give the Holy Spirit in baptism. But by the authority of the word, granted in both the office and the institution of the sacrament, the Holy Spirit is given. I have no authority to forgive sins, but the authority that Christ's command gives. I have no special power to transform bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ, but the word makes of that bread his body and makes of the, blood his, his, makes of the wine his blood. Okay, so Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, struck the water, and it was divided this way and that, so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. Notice this, this pattern again. 
it's, you know, deja vu all over again. You know, there's the Red Sea crossing. There is the Jordan River crossing by the whole congregation of Israel. Here is the Jordan River crossing by Elijah and Elisha, where feet walk securely on dry ground, as opposed to feet slipping and sliding on the, the gumbo on the wet roads of Africa, which I'll never forget, I don't think Beth and I ever will, as long as we live, sliding off the road, this dry road that got wet and it was like grease. And then we tip over and have to wait for some folks to help us out. All right, at any rate, so safety on dry ground. What gives us this? Again, the word of God paves uh, the way, divides the waters. And, and the waters, uh, raging seas, waters of divine judgment and so forth. Okay, so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elijah, Elisha, ask, what may I do for you? Notice the parallel here with Jesus in the upper room. He says, in those, that night before his crucifixion, up until now you have asked nothing of me. Ask. You will receive that your joy may be full. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Which is not about praying according to the dictates of our sinful will. It's about asking and praying on the basis of God's promises. And God's promise is attached to the gospel. So you have the same thing here. Ask, what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? And Elisha said, please, let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. Now I realize that in the English translations, most of the time, spirit here is in lowercase. And actually, in the original, there's not that distinction. But we in English tend to make that distinction. We capitalize divine pronouns often, or we capitalize references to the person of the Trinity. The only spirit that Elijah had who enabled him to preach is the Holy Spirit. So this is actually a prayer for the gift of the Holy Spirit, which do you remember Jesus' words in Luke 11 when he gives the Lord's Prayer? You know, he's, he, it's in that whole catechesis on prayer. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give what comes next? The Holy Spirit to those who ask him. The Holy Spirit, you know. If a son of yours asks for a scorpion, no, not a scorpion. If he asks for bread, will he give him a stone? And so it's in that section. And at the end, if you being evil know how to give good gifts, how much more will your Heavenly Father not give the Holy Spirit? He names the Holy Spirit. Okay. So you have that same pattern here. So he said, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, you see, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Now, when Elijah tells Elisha that he's asking a hard thing, it 
in asking for a double portion of the Spirit, he underscores the idea that the Holy Spirit is a gift, to be received as a gift and cannot be received in any other way. Do you know any story in the New Testament book of Acts, if you're reading it this summer in the congregation at prayer, about someone who wanted to pay money for the gift of the Spirit because he knew that, wow, it's by the Holy Spirit that the apostles are able to do these fantastic things, and I'd like to be able to do those things. Simon, Simon the sorcerer. There, there you go. Exactly. And uh, he is severely rebuked because you cannot beg, borrow, steal, or purchase the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Then it, what, if you haven't picked up on this yet, part of the objective in today's catechesis is that you see these connections and let the synapses fire. Is that what they're called? Synapses? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yes. Because the Holy Spirit, like salvation, is a gift of grace, not by merit, works, worthiness, money, um, etc., etc. You're like Father Wiest. You ask questions for which you know the answer, but you want me to underscore it. How many of you remember Father Wiest? Yeah, there are those I miss. All right. Nevertheless, if you see me, when I am taken from you, it shall be so. What shall be so? You'll receive the gift of the Spirit. But if not, it shall not be so. Then it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Now Elisha saw it. And he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. Now what is expressed in that cry of Elisha? You tell me. My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. Polly. Is it kind of like Jesus on the cross? I, I, I don't think I would go there. Okay. Cindy. Is it a confession of faith because he knew this was coming and then the confession that... I think you could say that. I think there's something um, at the heart of this that you haven't quite captured yet. My father, my father. I actually quoted it uh, in Pastor Silflow's funeral sermon. Something is being expressed by these words, which are both, all right, they're both words of affection and a kind of sorrow. Not a sorrow without hope. It's love. You know, if I could right now, I would reinstate in that pew where Matthew is there, Pastor Silflow. If I could, I'd reinstate over here where my mother-in-law is, Father Wiest, because that's about where he sat. 
but they've gone on to be with the Lord. My father, my father. So in, in tears of affection and love, we bid farewell in this life to those who have brought the word of the gospel to us. It's part of the reason why we love them. Why does Elisha not want to be separated from Elijah? Because Elijah gave to Elisha the word of life and, and called him to a life of suffering. Do you remember he put the mantle on Elijah? Uh, Elijah put the mantle on Elisha when he's uh, with one of the 12 yoke of oxen. And, he's, and uh, he says, first let me go and say goodbye to my parents. And Elijah says, what have I done to you? It is like Jesus saying to Saul of Tarsus, I will show you how many things you must suffer for my namesake. But yet, it was a glorious suffering. Because through the tentatio of the suffering, those ministers were taught the riches of God's grace in the gospel. Okay? The things you don't even know, you don't even know a smidgen of what Father Wiest went through in his life before then getting cancer at the end and so forth and dying. But all that he went through made him a better theologian and preacher of the cross. So uh, here, when Elisha says, my father, my father, you can almost hear the tears of sorrow, yes, being parted from him, but then also of love and the confession of faith, Cindy, yes, in the life to come, okay? What God ordains is always good, so we must forge on as the mantle passes from one pastor to another pastor to another. So he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes, and he tore them in two pieces. Again, contrition and the sorrow of repentance is always foundational for our life in this world. Lord, have mercy upon us. And he is, he would grant Elisha the courage and the strength to go on without Elijah. As he grants the courage, you know, I remember years ago, like in 1987 when I was first ordained, I had all these spiritual fathers. And one by one, those spiritual fathers would be taken. Uh, Robert Preuss, I remember, hearing the news of his sudden departure. And it followed on the heels of the joyful news that he was going to be reinstated to teach at the seminary in Fort Wayne, only to have the Lord say, not so fast. And he died suddenly of a heart attack, and he never got to teach again. But he was vindicated before uh, his death and in that reinstatement by the Synod and Convention and then by Dr. Weinrich, who was the acting uh, president at the time. And then there was Dr. Corby. Uh, I remember when the great eloquent preacher of the cross was stricken with a stroke that robbed him of his speech. My father, my father, 
you know? So on the one hand, there are the tears of sorrow and affection. On the other hand, there is the tears of quiet confidence in God's will and in the promise of eternal life and the resurrection. All right. So he also took up the mantle. So you see, we, do, we grieve, but not as those who have no hope. Now, Elijah didn't die, but he ascended into heaven. Okay? Uh, it, it, that's why we don't, we don't call the death of Christians death. We call them asleep. Their soul has ascended to await the resurrection. All right? But he does not, so we do not grieve as those who have no hope. So here, Elisha's grief is a grief that is still filled with hope and the confidence of the gospel. So he took up the mantle of Elijah. He didn't throw the mantle away. He took up the mantle that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Now let's go back. He saw him being taken up. So then, remember Elijah's words to him. He would receive a double portion of the Spirit. And the miracles that Elisha performed were even greater, as it were, than the miracles that Elijah performed. John, do you have a question? You've got that wonderful... No, contemplating. Contemplating, okay. So then he took the mantle from Elijah had fallen from him, and he struck the water and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? Here in the water that is struck by the, by the mantle. There's the answer to that question. And when he had struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over. Now when the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him, they said, now remember their previous threefold, you know you're not going to see him anymore, I know, keep silent. You know you're not going to see him anymore, I know, keep silent. Now, the spirit of Elijah rests upon Elisha. And you can understand this or read it, the Holy Spirit given to Elijah rests upon Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him, not because he was greater than anybody else, but because he was the Lord's man, the Lord's prophet, whom the Lord had taught through Elijah and called and sent. All right. So I had no idea that the, uh, this, the schedule of doing this lesson was figured out as a part of the Bible class sequence last summertime. So I had no idea of the appropriateness of this um, the day after we had kind of a bit of a celebration yesterday. Any questions or comments on this? Cindy. Okay, shall we simply say he doesn't need to have the obvious rubbed in, you know. You know you're not going to see James anymore in this life. Okay, fine. Thanks for reminding me. I mean. No, right? Absolutely. No, I'm not. But, I mean, it's that's a point of comparison, okay? Yes, Julie. So I wanted to go back to um, 
my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Okay. Um, how about I'll stand corrected and say I see this, the similarity in that, in that sense. Okay? See? So you share a baptismal birthdays and a double portion of the spirit. Um, yeah, I think... I think that's the point of comparison and not what I was thinking when I gave the answer, the idea of being separated because of the weight of sin and the punishment, okay? So when, when Jesus speaks about the forsakenness of his Father, it's that he really is experiencing the wrath of God. And in that sense, there's separation, where in this sense, there is not separation. But the point of similarity is the idea of not wanting to be parted from, and in that sense, they share that in common. So if you see the difference, so. Okay, good. Other? Now, in the, um, in the hymnal, I, I'd just like you to, to see a, a text in just the, the last couple of minutes. Um, 494 is the hymn, and this is uh, one of these hymns that expresses so much of the idea of typology that I was mentioning, where people or events are pictures of Christ's person and the work of salvation in Christ, or events associated with our Lord's work of salvation. In this great ascension hymn, see the Lord, or as the original was, see the conqueror mounts in triumph. Uh, conquering king in royal state, riding on the clouds his chariot to his heavenly palace gate. So you see the picking up of the language chariot corresponding to Elijah's ascension. And a chariot here. Uh, and riding on the chariot is this idea of what happens, you know, every 108 years um, when the Cubs win the World Series and there's this triumphal procession. Uh, I got my one uh, and it is no more. So hark the choirs of angel voices, joyful alleluia sing, and the portals high are lifted to receive their heavenly king. Uh, Psalm uh, 27 is also, um, uh, uh, 24, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, that the king of glory may come in. It's the opening up of the heavens. All right, who is this that comes in glory with the trump, that's the trumpet, of jubilee? Lord of battles, God of armies, he has gained the victory. He who on the cross did suffer, he who from the grave arose, he has vanquished sin and Satan, he by death has crushed his foes. While his, now begin to see this typology further, while he lifts his hands in blessing, he is parted from his friends. While their eager eyes behold him, he on the clouds ascends. Again, you see the connection with Elijah and Elisha. 
he who walked with God and pleased him, preaching truth and doom to come. He, our Enoch, Genesis 5, Enoch who did not die but was taken up, is translated to his everlasting home. Now, in this stanza three, the third score, he who walked with God, that pattern of language is expressed multiple times in the Old Testament of believers like Enoch, like uh, Noah, like Job, like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. To walk with God is to believe and to trust in God. In the New Testament, that's what a disciple is, a follower, one who walks with Jesus. Okay, So, a disciple. Now, our heavenly Aaron enters. Now, remember in the previous stanza, he lifts his hands in blessing. The ironic benediction, the Lord bless you and keep you. Okay, the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Now our heavenly Aaron enters with his blood within the veil. Remember Jesus saying in John's gospel, the night of his betrayal, where I am going, you cannot come now, but you will. He is the high priest, and he is the priestly sacrifice, and he enters into the holy of holies with his own blood. See? Um, he, so... Now our heavenly Aaron enters with his blood within the veil. Joshua is a type of Christ. It's the same name as Jesus. It means the Lord is salvation. Joshua now has come to Canaan, Canaan the promised land, and the kings before him quail. Now he plants the tribes of Israel in their promised resting place. So anytime you hear the promises of the land, the promises of the land, you know, the, the meek shall inherit the earth, Land, earth, those are promises of salvation, just as the promise to Abraham was that he would inherit the land. Now our great Elijah offers double portion of his grace. Great, great hymn that helps you see all of these connections. He has raised our human nature on the clouds to God's right hand. There we sit in heavenly places. There with him in glory stand. Jesus reigns, adored by angels. Man with God is on the throne. By our mighty Lord's ascension, we by faith behold our own. And they cut the doxological stanza, even though there was plenty of room for it. <laughs> the reason they did those kinds of things is they, they, they said, you know, there's pastors out there like Pastor Bender who insist on singing every stanza, and it wearies the people, so we're... If, if he doesn't have the courage to limit the number of stanzas, then we'll have to do it for him. That's actually kind of the rationale. I, I know. Okay. So we'll continue with, El with Elisha next week. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.
You can nest him right in there on the stool. Joe, can you put this him on that spot? Oh, yes, can you? Yep.